you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 34. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days and that he sees good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Well, if you haven't already, I do hope that you will find a Bible near you and uh, turn to Psalm 34. As we continue in this summer of Psalms together, uh, we have spent the last few weeks together in uh, Psalms 1 through 4, and today we come to this incredibly uh, beautiful, powerful psalm of Psalm 34. I know it's a a favorite psalm of many. You can see that the title here is last week's sermon title because I forgot to retitle it for this week, Uh, uh, but it's not hard to find a good title for this psalm. I remember uh, reflecting on this psalm many years ago, and, and I thought, you know, probably an at- appropriate title would be, My, You Look Radiant Today. Uh, we have this beautiful phrase uh, in here, those who look to him are radiant. Have you looked to him? Do you radiate the great glory of the God that you've looked upon today? This psalm is an invitation. Uh, look at the first verses of this psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Do you hear the invitation? Do you hear the call? This morning, I want to to draw your attention to this in this time of preaching and reflecting on Psalm 34, that preaching and hearing the word preached is not just about uh, learning new things. It's not just about 
being fed. You and I both know that the best meals that you've ever had are those in which there is deep pleasure in the food. There is something about being fed when we gather together around the word, but there is to be pleasure in the partaking of the food. As, as, it's as though David is saying something like this, oh, you got to try this. This is the best food I've ever had. Come here, take a bite, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together today. Eat, be fed, but take pleasure in the food. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Probably my favorite definition of preaching is John Piper's definition. It's, it's two simple words, expository exaltation. The business of the preacher is to expose what is there, not to come up with something innovative, creative, or new, but rather it's expository. It is exposing what is there, but it is, that's not enough. It has to be exaltation, to take joy in what is exposed, to, to exalt in, to find a deep, Pleasure. It might not be a giddy sort of joy at all times, though I would argue that in many ways this psalm calls for a giddy sort of joy, but it's also a depth of joy, a mmm, yes, that's good sort of pleasure. This is the business of preaching. This is the business of the church as we give attention to the word. Let us exult together in what is exposed in his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the gift of your word this morning that we have the scriptures, that we have specifically the psalms. We have songs that are written to give us the words for our praise, a words for our emotional life, a words for our prayer, to orient the disposition of our relationship with you and with one another. Thank you for your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would give attention And that your spirit would work as we receive your word with faith, that it would become to us grace and a grace that that pours forth a joy, a depth of tasting and seeing in the midst of the congregation today and as we go to be the church that you have made us by your word. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned in recent weeks, maybe you've been here for much of it. In recent weeks, we've been in Psalms 1 through 4. I would just recap. Psalm 1, we considered the man who meditates upon the words of the Lord day and night, meditating, mulling it over. The word meditate uh, isn't a clearing of the mind in some sort of Eastern meditation. It is rather the grabbing of the words of the Lord into the mind and on the mouth. The image is one of murmuring, murmuring God's words day and night, his words always being with us, Psalm 1. Psalm 2, we've considered the Lord who has established a Messiah King forever. The Lord has a will and a purpose, and his purpose is that we would take refuge in the Christ, the Messiah King. Psalm 3, we have David who rose in the morning because the Lord sustained him. Even though there were many thousands of adversaries all about him, he yet woke again. And he praised the Lord, you've sustained me. In Psalm 4, last week we saw David lying down again 
In sleep, in peace, for the Lord makes him dwell in safety. He rose the night before, the, the, the morning before, and now he's able to lay down again because the Lord makes him dwell in safety. These four weeks have been a clear, I, I believe compelling, I know to me, call to rest in the Lord. And so I thought, let's go to Psalm 4. Let's go to Psalm 4 because I believe there is something in these psalms that we need help with. We need help with how to rest in the Lord. There's a moment-by-moment reflection upon the Lord, a meditation upon the Lord that enables the psalmist to worship, to live, to sleep, and to wake. So today, we'll turn to Psalm 34. And I would argue that one of the things that we can learn from Psalm 34 is how to pray. How to pray, like like at all times sort of prayer, a, a murmuring, meditating sort of praying. We're learning how to consider the way of the Lord in prayer and to align ourselves to his glory, his purpose, his revelation and salvation in such a way that it gives shape to the way that we live our lives. I'm going to say it again. We're learning how to consider the way of the Lord and how to align ourselves in prayer to his glory to his purpose, to his revelation, and to his salvation in such a way that it gives shape to the way that we actually live our lives. I would offer this definition of prayer. Prayer is pleading with the Lord. What do we plead for? We plead for what he's promised. Because what he's promised, prayer, a prayer of faith says, Lord, your way is good. Prayer says, Lord, you are the refuge. Refuge. So what have you revealed about the nature of that refuge? What have you revealed about that? Salvation is good. So the prayer of faith says, Lord, what I'm pleading for is nothing more than what you have promised. And we plead in such a way that our own souls begin to increase in our desire for his promise. Lord, I believe that what you said is good, and I'll meditate it on it. Well, I'll murmur it. I'll, I'll say it on, on my lips as, my, as I recall your word in such a way that I begin to desire all the more what you've promised. And in this way, we become prepared for a life of worship, what Hebrews calls a life of reverence and awe, shaped by what the Lord has promised. Now, we're going to look at this psalm uh, in four parts. We could break down the psalm a number of ways, but I think that uh, this morning we've already looked at the invitation there. I guess that would be technically the first part, but we'll go to that next part in beginning in verse 4. Look at it with me. I saw the Lord, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. When we have a need, when we're in trouble, when we need deliverance, The business of the faithful are to seek the presence of the one who can help us. Well, really, you don't even have to be faithful to know that's true. When you're in need, what do you do? I need help. Well, where can I get the help? Wherever help can be found. The faithful say, my help can be found in the Lord. So I will seek the Lord, and we will see that he answers us. If our business is to seek the Lord, ask, where can he be found? Like, how, how, how do you seek the Lord? I would suggest that there are two places for sure that the, the business of the faithful is to seek 
the Lord. The first is in his word, and the Psalms are filled with this over and over again, a call to seek the Lord in his word. He's revealed in his word both who he is and how he is. Both who he is and how he is. He's revealed to us his glory and his holiness. This is who he is. He is the almighty, glorious, holy one. And he's revealed to us how he is. And the Psalms meditate upon this often. He is the God of steadfast love and mercy. See? This almighty, holy, glorious God is the one who comes to us in a covenant-keeping, steadfast love and mercy. So we seek the Lord in his word, and we, we find this God. Think through, read through, pray for, through the word, asking the question, who is the Lord? How is the Lord? What is the, the nature of this God? Tell me more about his glory. And how has he deemed, how has he revealed his purposes to love and to save, to keep, to be a refuge? This is where the Lord has promised to be found. So I sought the Lord and he answered me. Let me suggest, seek him in his word. Second, this also is in the Psalms. The Psalms are a songbook for the people. That the second place that the Lord can be found is among his people, even in his people. Where is the one place on this planet that the Lord has promised to dwell in this age? It's not a trick question. The one place the Lord has promised he will be there. Well, there, were, there was a time when that place would be the temple building, right? The temple, in the holy of holies inside the temple. That's where the Lord promised he would be, and that grand structure was in the midst of the people. Well, today, the Lord still dwells in the midst of his people, but not in the temple structure anymore. The Lord has chosen to dwell. The, the Holy Spirit has has chosen to take up residence according to his promise in the very lives of the people. Romans 8, 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, dwells in you. So if you would seek the Lord, I would suggest you ought to seek the people of God that there is a refuge to be found, not in the people themselves. We know who we are. <laughs> I mean, I don't need anybody seeking refuge in me, right? And you know that there's no one here that can be your refuge, but the Lord has promised he would be found in the midst of his people. So we do find a refuge together because the spirit of God is with his people. Do you believe that functionally? I would argue there is a very good chance functionally you don't believe that. And, and I just know this anecdotally because I've watched people and I've watched myself. And when hard times come in the church, when a difficult thing happens, like not the sort of difficult thing like I'm, I'm having surgery, would you pray for me sort of difficult thing. Friends, that's a difficult thing. But the sort of difficult thing like sin 
Like the sort of difficult thing, like this thing's going badly and it might reflect negatively on me. The sort of difficult thing that looks like shame. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And yet, I've found that when those sort of difficult things come around, people tend to hide. And they tend to hide from one another, almost like they're going to get it cleaned up off in the dark somewhere where the Lord has not promised to be. They're going to get it all cleaned up, and then they can come back and be with the fellowship. Friends, we have nothing to be ashamed of if our eyes are on the Lord. And so we gather with his people. We we fellowship together. We seek the fellowship of brothers and sisters where the Father is pleased to dwell Verse five, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Friends, this is one of the most compelling sentences I've ever heard. I remember where I was when I first heard this sentence. I was in a season of specific distress and Sandy and I decided to open up the word that evening. We had been spending a good bit of the day in tears, a bit brokenhearted, a bit disillusioned at the time. We turned to this psalm. I don't even remember why we turned to this psalm. But the Lord brought a light to us. He brought a hope to us right there in these words. There are many places we might look in a time of distress. But this, this, this psalm calls us to an orientation to look to the Lord we would see a light there that would radiate into our eyes and into our hearts, even into our emotional disposition, that he could actually transform the way that we are thinking and feeling about a situation. I mean, it makes sense. If we found a refuge, if we found a hope in a season of trial, that it would transform the way that we actually even feel. Prayer is a reorientation. It lifts up the eyes, inclines the heart, and what we see and we hear changes us. Prayer has a reward. Those who look to him are radiant. Now, this next verse is so helpful. Verse six, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Do you see that those who look to the Lord are not radiant. You know, there's different ways you could read that sentence, right? Those who look to the Lord become radiant, (laughs) but they're not radiant in and of themselves. He's a poor man. He's a broken man. He's an exhausted man. He's a spent man. He looks to the Lord and he is made Radiant. The one who cries out to the Lord knows who he himself is. He knows that he's small. He knows that he's desperate. He knows that he is in need. Look at the inscription of this passage. This is when it says of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. If you go and read the story, he changed his behavior to look like a raving madman in the court of a foreign king. That's how he changed his behavior. This poor man cried. And the Lord made that poor man radiant. We are radiant not because of we, that we are great, but because the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shines upon us in the face 
of Jesus Christ. He makes us radiant. I would ask you, where do you look in time of trouble? This is the part where pastors and sermons get to like that application point and they say something like that. You say, well, I know where I should look. I should look to Jesus. But that's not the question that I asked, okay? I'm asking you to think for a moment. Where do you look in time of trouble? Like Google, (laughs) you know, how do I fix this? Who do you call quickly? What text messages do you begin to do? Do you check your bank account first thing to make sure that you can cover it yourself? Do you seek the comfort of a friend, a quick text exchange? Where do you look in time of trouble? And sit in this for a moment. Those who look to him are radiant. Friends, there is a correction already. I know I need I know I've heard. Do you hear it in the psalm? Verse 8. Move to the second part of the psalm together. Verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Prayer isn't only looking to the Lord. Prayer is enjoying the Lord. Have you tasted the goodness of the word? There are two scriptures we could go to that that reflect on this passage. Hebrews 6, 5, those who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Have you tasted the goodness of the word of God? When we speak of the word of God, we're not merely speaking of letters gathered into words and sentences. When we're speaking about the word of God, we're speaking about the revelation of God's purposes in creation. Think about that for a moment. God, let's remember who we're talking about. The almighty creator of all things has spoken words. And those words can come to our hearing. That means you can know something that God, the almighty creator, would have you know. And what has he chosen to let you know? His purposes for all of creation. That's amazing. You can actually know God's divine purposes. They are not hidden. They are revealed. He's made them known. He's spoken his intentions. He's spoken his promises. He's spoken the nature of our help and our hope in such a way they can come to our ears. This is the word of God that we get to taste and see. Have you Have you taken a moment to, to in prayer, meditatively reflect on what you actually know about God? Not by general revelation, but by his specific revelation of his divine purposes. Have you tasted the help of the Lord? Have you grown up to be nourished by the word of the Lord unto salvation? This is 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 say, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We taste that the Lord is good. We find him satisfying. And what we taste in the Lord nourishes us that we would grow up and mature. The one who turns to the Lord for refuge learns that refuge is found in the Lord. Obviously, (laughs) right? 
But you have to turn to the Lord for refuge to find that refuge can be found in the Lord. That's the call of the psalm. The call, the call of the psalm, taste it, taste. And when you taste, you will see that the Lord is good. We are tutored in salvation as we find salvation in the Lord. As we take refuge in the Lord, we're tutored in taking refuge in the Lord. We gain an appetite for it. We become conditioned to know where to find refuge. We again see and savor, perceiving again the hope that we have in the Lord. That word taste is also translated elsewhere in Scripture as perceive. Perceive, observe, notice, come to understand that the Lord is good. The one who takes refuge in the Lord doesn't worry about the cares of the world rather than building a fortress against the present age in and of himself. He ponders the treasure house of the promises of the Lord. Prayer begins the day by remembering promises, commands to prepare the day for a life of worshipful obedience. What's the first thing you do in the morning? What prepares you to do whatever it is that comes next. Because more than likely, whatever it is comes next is the thing you're exhausted by, you're afraid of, you're ashamed of, and a variety of other things. But what's the first thing that you do in the morning to prepare yourself for these things? Test him. Consider what are the nature of his promises. Taste of the Lord and his word early in the morning and see if he is good. See if he sustains. See if he nourishes and brings about maturity. Meditate upon the way of the Lord. There are so many who go on carrying the name of Christ, but know so little sweetness of it. Let me, let me tell you, there's a very good chance, if that's you, like you know the name of Christ, you claim the name of Christ, you claim faith in him, you profess that faith, but when you hear things like taste and see that the Lord is good, you, don't, you just don't really know that sweetness. Is it perhaps because you've never turned to him for help? That it is not a practice in your, you have a practice in your life of turning to many other things, but you haven't turned to him seeking his face for help. So you have not yet seen He's sweet. His refuge and sustenance is good. We continue together. Verse 11, the next portion of the psalm. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is fascinating. I love love the, the character nature of this psalm. He begins with an expression, an invitation, a call to worship. He, he continues by being very open and transparent about his need for the Lord and the reality of his, his broken condition, just a poor man. He continues on with this call, oh, taste and see. And now he says, look, come children. He's, he's tutoring us. And there's a moment in the psalm where he recognizes this, you need remedial training. You need to come as little kids. And so the psalmist gathers together all the children from the most basic 
and yet most important lesson. David will teach you this. He will teach you the fear of the Lord. We say, teach me, feed me, I want to learn. And he says, let me whet your appetite with this question. The children come, they heard his call, and he says, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And all the kids say, I want good, I want good, me too, me too. And they get out of control, right? Like, kids, kids, I heard you, okay, good, 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 you heard the question, you heard the question. I hear it, you see, and you seek what is good, and he says, okay, so here's what you do. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Remember what he's doing. He's teaching you the fear of the Lord. He's already said he's a poor man who cried out to God. So he's not teaching you how to be the perfect man. He's teaching the children the fear of the Lord. This is how you walk in a fear of God. And this is how you you see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He's saying, taste it. Mull it over. Meditate upon the Lord and his way. And what's going to happen, it is going to become a bridge to obedience. Meditating upon the way of the Lord, beginning to delight in his way, his refuge, his hope, his salvation, his character, and his nature becomes a bridge to obedience. In the word of God, we receive news of a beautiful way, and we meditate upon that way. And as we begin to see that that way is truly beautiful, what will you do? We'll walk in another way, of course. No! If you see and you've found and you've tasted and enjoyed a beautiful way, what do you do? walk in it. You walk in it. Obedience does not convince the Lord that he ought to help us. Obedience is, a, is the disposition of a man who is convinced that the Lord has helped us by giving us a beautiful way to walk. Our obedience is not an argument. See, I deserve to be helped. David's argument is, I am a poor man. That's what he brings to the table. I am a poor man with a need. That's his his way of convincing the Lord that he ought to help him. The Lord helps him by giving him a beautiful way to walk. And he says, if you want the good way, you'll walk in a way that keeps the tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit, turning from evil and doing good and seeking peace. Obedience is a life that leans by faith upon what the Lord has revealed in such a way that it says, I believe it's sweet. I believe it's beautiful. It's like going out to dinner with someone and you're both looking at the menu. One puts the menu away early. They've been here before. What do you say? What are you having? (laughs) Because they know they've had it before. Why would you have anything else other than the beautiful meal? And you you tutor yourself and you walk in because you've tasted it. You've seen it. It's good. It's against the natural desires and appetites as we learn the fear of the Lord and adopt the way 
of the Lord as, his, as food from him, as satisfaction from him. You know, it's interesting. In, in verse 14, it says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David's life is actually uh, a, a wonderful example of this. It holds this out. David is a poor man. He is a failure of a man at many times. You can go and read through the historical account of David's life. But there were two times in David's life where he could have taken what was rightfully his. Two opportunities to kill Saul in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26. But he didn't stand on his rights. Rather, he stood upon promise. The Lord said he would make David king. Not that David would reach out and grab his way to become king. The Lord has anointed David as king, and so he will wait upon the Lord. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And where did it stick him? In the middle of a foreign king's court acting like a fool so he wouldn't get killed. That's where it put him. As a poor man continuing to cry out, to God because he believed that the way of the Lord is good and that there is refuge in him, even if right now the flavor isn't coming through. He trusts in the sustaining power of his God. First Peter chapter three, I would encourage you to go to First Peter sometime during the course of this week. It's a reflection upon this psalm. The argument in 1 Peter 3 is simple. In 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 15, it says this. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like you're suffering for righteousness' sake. But he said, no, 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 trust me. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, fear the Lord, cling to his way in the time of affliction. In other words, fear the Lord. He's still teaching the children. Peter is continuing to feed the sheep by teaching them the fear of the Lord. We cling to his promises and his commands. And in verse 17, it continues, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. You see, evil might, it might bring a moment's relief from a moment's affliction. But there's no promise in it. There's no promise of sustenance. There's no promise of refuge. There is no promise of hope. There's no promise of sweetness in doing evil to escape a momentary affliction. But there is a promise for the one who seeks what is good who fears the Lord in that moment. There is a refuge. There is a hope. We know that the word of the Lord is true and good when we know that every departure from his revealed way is loss, has no sweetness in it. Verses 15 through 18. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He's still teaching children. 
He's teaching children reality. He's teaching children the most basic things about life. The reality of a moment in which you will need to cry. The question is simply where will you cry? The reality that there are those who will do evil, but the Lord will cut them off. Well, it turns out there is promise for the way of escape of evil. They will be cut off. There is a promise that the righteous will cry and the Lord will hear and that he's near the broken hearted. Prayer is turning our face to the Lord that we might receive help from him. It's remembering his promise and taking joy in the grace that we have in the Lord. But I I would argue that verses 15 through 18 make a further argument that it's, it's turning to the Lord with more than words in prayer. It's turning to the to the Lord with a prayer that is a life that appeals to the Lord by our living that says, God, I will not just confess that hope is found in you. I will walk as if hope is found in your way. It says, I will maintain my integrity because I've tasted the sweetness of the holiness of our God in integrity. I will walk not in evil, but I will do good and seek peace. Because that, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life of prayer that says, I believe that you are good and your way is good, so peace must be good. I appeal to you by your revealed way. We walk in righteousness, not because we are righteous in ourselves, but as an appeal to God. I've turned to your way. I've cried out to you, Lord. I trust not only with my words, but I trust with my steps. I appeal to the righteousness of our God. We taste, we mull over, we meditate upon the word, the Lord, his way, and this becomes a bridge for us toward obedience. As we begin to trust that the Lord is good, and that his way that he's revealed for us to live is good. Friends, I hope you're following me here. You cannot meditate upon the Lord and his way, enjoying him, and walk in your own way. You're not enjoying him. It's like making the appeal back in the restaurant Again, it's like making the appeal in the restaurant. I would like to order this thing because I I hear it's very good. And it arrives on the table and you pull out some fast food and eat it. No, taste and see that the Lord is good. The ordering of the item is like prayer. I hear that it's good. The walking in it the enjoying it, the going through the tests of the various flavors and savors that is in the food, the way that the Lord has given for us to walk, is the real appeal. God, is there sweetness in this food, in this way that you've given us to walk? So life, the way that we walk, becomes an appeal, becomes a prayer to the Lord. And this is what we find. The Lord redeems. 
the Lord redeems. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. It turns out that some of the bites you take, that, that the nose <laughs> of the meal, that first bite, it's a bit much. It's a bit bitter, in fact. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of them will, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Again, remember Peter's reflection on this psalm. For it is, and he's reflecting on the psalm through the whole of the chapter. 1 Peter 3.17, For it is better to suffer for doing good. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil, affliction will slay the wicked. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you will not be slain who walk in the way of the Lord. The life of faith trusts in the way of the Lord, the way that he's given for us to walk as a good way. So whatever the season, whatever the specific suffering is that you are experiencing for walking in this way, in that moment, we know that there will be sweetness. I believe that one of the most powerful seasons that we experience is the sweetness of God's sustaining presence that we find out that there is something good in this moment of affliction. When we walk in the valley of shadow of death and fear no evil, that is a sweet moment to take refuge in the Lord. Consider Jesus. This passage is actually fulfilled in Jesus. In John 19, 36, it says, For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. When did that happen? Well, when Jesus, the Messiah, was walking in the way that the Father had prepared for him to walk, this was fulfilled when he was dying on a cross, if we want to talk about affliction. And yet, not one of the bones of this righteous man were broken. Jesus, the righteous one, Jesus, the radiant one, the one in whom we have seen the glory of God in his face, he suffered many afflictions. But it is by his suffering that we will not be crushed. How many of our afflictions are our (laughs) afflictions? How many of our sufferings are not actually just the result of our wicked way? But we find a grace and a refuge, not only from the sufferings that are around us, we also find a refuge for the sufferings that we have brought on ourselves as we turn to the Lord in faith that by the suffering of Jesus Christ, we may be forgiven. The fact is Jesus fills up every aspect of this psalm. Though the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned, there is no condemnation for those who take refuge in him. Verse 22, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, I want to read an extended portion before we close from Romans 8. 
Verses 33 through 39, pay attention to me. Listen closely. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, nor things present or things to come, powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Prayer learns to trust in the Lord in every season by a meditation upon who he is and how he is toward his people. I would just remind us as we close, prayer looks to him. As we look to him, he makes us radiant. Prayer enjoys him. Tasting and seeing he's good through his promises and his commands. Learn, prayer learns the fear of him. Learning the value of walking in the way of the Lord. Friends, that is a, that is a walking an I-N-G that we learn and are tutored in the fear of the Lord. And prayer rests in him, remembering that above all things, he is redeemer. Again, prayer is pleading with the Lord for what he has promised in such a way that the soul increases in its desire for what is promised. In this way, we become prepared for a life of worship. And it's true. It will take place. My, don't you look radiant today. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have been kind to us. You have not withdrawn the light of your glory. You have not withdrawn your grace and kindness. Lord, but you've made yourself known. Lord, you've made it so that as we seek you, we find you. That even before we sought you, you came to us to give us your word, to give us your way, to perform the perfect gospel that we might have hope and good news in our affliction, and particularly in the affliction of our own sin. Lord, tutor us like children to learn your way, to learn the sweetness of your way, that we can remember moments and times like I do today on finding this scripture, that in a moment of great trial and distress, you rescued this poor man. Thank you, God, that we can taste and see that you are good. Lord, I pray 
for the one here who has never tasted you, has heard of you, heard you preached, perhaps even knows a good deal about you, even knows how to, quote, order you off the menu of a church buffet, but, Lord, has never turned to you in faith to confess that he or she is a poor man in need of grace. I pray that you would save. I pray that you would save this soul and that we together would rejoice as, as you work the miracle of salvation in one life. Lord, our hope is in you, and we turn and we desire to exalt your name forever. Thank you, God. We pray this in your good name. In the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, we pray. Amen.